Join over 350,000 people just like you who are taking control of their wellness journey with Viome. When it comes to choosing the right food and supplements for you, don't guess, test. With Viome's health intelligence test, you get over 30 health insights based on your unique biology and your gut microbiome. You also receive personalized food recommendations and precision supplements formulated literally just for you. Use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off a health intelligence test. Visit Viome.com to shop now. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Russell Foster. He is the head of the Nuffield Laboratory of Ophthalmology and the Sleep and Circadian Neuroscience Institute. And we're going to talk about uh, circadian rhythms and neurobiology and sleep. So, Russell, thanks for coming. Really delighted to join you, Richard. Yeah, tell me, how did you get into uh, this topic? It seems, you know, to some people it'd be very arcane, but uh, what interested you in it? Well, it goes back a long way. When I was an undergraduate, I became fascinated with weird photoreceptors. So, you know, lampreys have these these receptors on the on the top of their on the top of their skulls, and there are certain lizards that have these parietal eyes. And I just thought that was so cool. And I worked on some of these for my undergraduate um, uh, project, and then my PhD was on weird photoreceptors and how they regulate circadian rhythms. So I really got into body clocks and then sleep later on because of the way that the because of the way that they're regulated by light. Are you studying people or are you studying other creatures? And now I really am I'm lucky to uh, study all the way from uh, sort of animal models. Uh, usually mice, but but also now studying humans um, and applying what we know to try and improve human uh, conditions of health. So the job of photoreceptors in mice and humans and other creatures is purely what? Or does it have, do they have multiple purposes? Yeah. So essentially, I, I asked the, the question, which is how are body clocks? We have this internal clock ticking away. And what it does is fine tune our physiology and behavior to the varied demands of the day night cycle. And, and that's a profound ecological uh, challenge. And we, we, we use an internal clock to essentially fine tune our, our biology to these varied demands. But it's no good having a clock unless it's set to the external world. And for most animals, it's the external light dark cycle that sets the clock to the external day. And so when the internal day and the external day are aligned, you, you get this, this, um, this timed biology and biology that is, is fit for purpose in a sense, so that it can anticipate dawn and dusk and gear up or gear down physiology uh, accordingly. And so really that's the relationship which I started with, which is trying to understand these photoreceptors. And in the process of doing that, we discovered that the, the eye 
has more than just the visual cells, the rods and the cones. We discover that there's a third photoreceptor within the eye that has nothing fundamentally to do with vision and the detection of images in our world, but it's the detection of the dawn-dusk cycle, which is then used to set the clock. And what became, I think, you know, extraordinary, we discovered that, that mice initially, and then humans, who were visually blind, they had genetic diseases, which, which, which um, prevented their, their rods and cones, their visual cells, from either developing or working at all. And yet, despite complete visual loss, these individuals and our mice uh, could regulate their clocks by the light-dark cycle. And, and that was just, like, for me, just so cool, because uh, it means that the eye is doing two things. It's grabbing light for vision and a generation of sort of an image of our world, but it's also grabbing light for the regulation of internal time. And so it was these dual functions of, of the eye that, that we, we originally discovered. And that was some time ago. And, and what I've spent, you know, the, the next few decades doing is trying to understand how these receptors work, understand how they signal to the, the clock within the brain. And in the process of understanding those pathways, we've, we've developed drugs that can fool the clock that it's seen light. So if you don't have any eyes, your clock is ticking away, but it then drifts through time. And so I've been privileged to work with Blind Veterans UK, who are very closely uh, related to the uh, blind veterans in the USA. And we have just started to test some drugs that will that we hope to go into clinical trials later this year, that we hope we can give back, it can fool the clock that it's seen light, and so give back these individuals a sense of biological time. So it's a good example. Well, who, where really, yeah, what, what kind of people, there are people what, with no eyes, they're not just blind, yeah. or oh, so yeah, they're so, blinded, what, in war, and they exactly. literally have no photoreceptors. Yeah, so, so the, the blind veterans have lost their eyes or have severely damaged eyes in combat. But also um, we work in the eye hospital here in Oxford and are looking at individuals who've either never developed their eyes because they've got genetic defects where eye development hasn't taken place or have lost their eyes uh, as a result of a tragic accident or, or some other who've lost their eyes as a result of a, a tragic accident. And so, again, these people are time blind although they've got a clock that's ticking away. So, so our blind veterans and our individuals in the eye hospital will hopefully be the first groups that we can give back a sense of time. So in mice and in people, are there photoreceptors all over the body or only in the eyes? And has no. Been studied? This is really important because we are our only photoreceptors, our sensory photoreceptors. Of course, we have light-sensitive pigment reactions in the skin. And of course, we, we synthesize vitamin D as a result of UVB light hitting the skin. But in terms of sensors, the only sensory um, cells that we have as mammals, and that's all mammals, are within the eye. Now, that's not true for other vertebrates. I mean, my PhD work was on birds, and they have photoreceptors outside the eye. And, and in fact, you know, we, we mentioned lizards and earlier and, and frogs and fish. And I've studied all of these groups because they have also these non-eye or extra retinal photoreceptors. And it raises a really interesting question, which is why we and the rest of the mammals are so different from the rest of the vertebrates. And it seems because we've had this very special evolutionary history. All mammals have evolved from nocturnal ancestors. So we emerged or our ancestors emerged 
from, our, from, from their burrows and had a short time to sample the light environment to regulate their clocks. And so basically lost their extra retinal, their non-eye photoreceptors, and have relied only on the photoreceptors within the eye. So if I'm in your lab, part of an experiment, and I'm sleeping and I have an eye mask on, you shine light on my leg, let's say during the night, <laughs> It's not going to wake me up. It won't do anything, right? <laughs> no, I know what you're referring to. You're referring to a, a science paper published back in 1998, which suggested that if you shine light behind the knee, uh, this will shift the body clock. That was it caused a lot of fuss at the time, and none of us could understand the results, because if you don't have eyes, you can't regulate the clock. And a lot of people spent a lot of money and a great deal of time trying to replicate those findings and failed completely. And so it's not clear quite what went on, but there were some uh, experimental methodological problems that um, fooled those researchers into thinking that there were receptors outside of the eye. But so far, there's no clear evidence. There are weird molecules that are surfacing, which might be light sensitive. But so far, we haven't been able to link them to any physiological responses. And as I say, if you cover the eyes or if you have no eyes, as far as the circadian system is concerned, you are time blind. Huh. Okay. How sensitive are our, our eyes to light? You know, like I've been told, and many people I'm sure have been told this, ideally you want to sleep in pitch darkness for a while. And then I know there's lamps on the market that, you know, 30 minutes before you tell them to wake you up, the lamp comes on slowly and brighter and brighter and eases you into the day. Um, but again, how sensitive have scientists uh, determined that uh, our photoreceptors are in our eyes? Discover how your gut microbiome is impacting your cellular health, immune health, and how you're aging from the inside out with Viome's Health Intelligence Test. Collect your samples, send them to the Viome Lab, and within two to three weeks, your health scores and food and supplement recommendations will be available to you right in your Viome app. Visit Viome.com and use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off your health intelligence test. It's a really good question because light at which we could comfortably read by is often not bright enough to regulate the biological clock. So for vision, very low light of a very short duration allows us, allows us to generate an image of the world. But for the clock to be robustly entrained, it requires bright light. So in the order of hundreds and sometimes thousands of lux for a long period of exposure. So when I mean long period, I mean 30 minutes or more. So um, there's been a lot of discussion that um, if you look at a, an e-reader before you go to, go, to, go to bed, you can shift your biological clock. The most detailed study on that was not by us, but, but a group in Harvard. And they uh, got people to look at an e-reader for four hours um, on five consecutive nights. And what that did was shift the biological clock by only 10 minutes. And so it, whilst it was a statistically significant um, result, it was essentially uh, biologically meaningless. So it emphasizes the point that we need relatively bright light to regulate the clock. Now, light is doing something else as well. It's it's increasing our alertness. And so it seems that our alerting systems are a bit more sensitive to light than our circadian systems. So, so light um, before bedtime could increase alertness and therefore 
delay sleep onset. But, but broadly speaking, I think it's a good idea to keep the lights low before you go to sleep. One, because the lower the light, the reduced alertness. And two, um, there's some evidence that young people might be a bit more sensitive to light, or rather their circadian system might be a bit more sensitive to light. We don't really know. And there's also likely to be lots of individual variation. So rule of thumb, you know, keep the lights fairly low uh, in, in, in the few hours before you go to sleep. Well, I sleep very late, wake up very late. I've done some, you know, ad hoc experimentation. Um, it seems like if I'm exposed to light for more than a few seconds or if the light is very bright, it makes it impossible to go back to sleep. Has there been experimentation uh, where people, again, have been shown light or woken up with light, you know, briefly or for certain periods of time and it had affected the rest of their sleep? That's an interesting question. And um, individuals in Switzerland are looking at that very problem. We don't have a complete answer at the moment, but we do know that different colours, different wavelengths of light, and blue light in particular, is really, really um, powerful at, at increasing alertness. And it may well be that flashes of bright light um, and, and particularly bright blue light might increase alertness and therefore make it, make it more difficult uh, to get back to sleep. But it's probably not having much of an effect on the body clock. Now, you say you're a, a late person you're, or you're going to bed late. Is, is, that, is that true, Richard? Yeah, whenever I tell people, they're always horrified and scream in terror, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's, there's huge individual variation and one's lateness, one's, one's you know, as you, as you may have come across the term chronotype, you know, morning people, mm -hmm. larks, yes. evening people, owls. But, but what forms our chronotype is quite interesting. First of all, it's your age. And so from the age of around about 10, there's a tendency to want to go to bed later and later and later. So by in your late teens, early 20s, you're, you're going to bed about two hours later than you were when you were 10. And then after those, those early 20s, there's a move to go to sleep earlier again. Uh, and when you're in your late 50s, early 60s, you're getting up and going to bed about two hours earlier than you were in your late teens and early 20s. So, so there's a big effect of age, and that's probably due, due, and that's probably due to the circulating levels of hormones such as estrogen, progesterone in women, and testosterone in men. The second area that will affect your morningness or eveningness is your genetics. We now know that there are subtle changes or polymorphisms in the genes that regulate your body clock, and that can influence whether you're a morning or an evening person. But the third area, and this is really important, is when you see light. Now, dusk light delays the clock, makes you get up later. Morning light advances the clock and makes you get up earlier. And in very, men and in very many young people, they miss out the morning light. They're sleeping through the morning, the morning light exposure. So they're not getting it at all, but they're usually out in the afternoon or uh, uh, late afternoon and, and evening and getting evening light. So they're missing the morning advancing light, but getting the evening delaying light. And that's shifting the clock to a later time, which is part of the reason why um, teenagers, for example, tend to want to go to bed late and get up late. They're missing they're missing morning light, but they're getting the uh, the late afternoon, early evening light. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Oh, so not getting the morning light keeps you in that delayed state because yeah. everything's telling your body, yes, be awake, but delayed, delayed, delayed. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, when we all worked, you know, in agriculture, we got a symmetrical exposure to dawn and dusk. But many of us now only get a partial exposure. And, and in fact, many people just get evening light, which delays the clock. And if you happen to be an extreme late time, you know, the, what you can do is set your alarm clock and then get morning light, um, either by going outside or using a light box. And that will will advance the clock uh, earlier in time. Oh, so that'll make you get tired earlier and that'll help you go to sleep on time. Or exactly. Early. Yeah. And, gotcha. and that's, that can be really useful, particularly for, for teenagers and young, young adolescents, uh, because, you know, you're going to sleep late. And that, of course, can be encouraged further uh, because of use of social media and that, and that sort of thing. And so you're going to bed or going to sleep late, um, having very shortened sleep. And then being driven out of bed by the alarm clock. And so you're sort of chronically tired. And so uh, struggling through the school day. Um, and, and, and that could be um, changed by, by setting an alarm and getting out and experiencing that bright morning light. And of course, it's worse uh, in the northern, uh, in the northern parts of the northern hemisphere. Uh, and of course, during winter when people may notice a difference in their sleep wake timing, it's more difficult to get out of bed in the morning. Well, what if someone developed an app? You know, you look at your phone for maybe five or 10 minutes once or twice a day and it has morning light composition and light color. Do you think that would help people reset their clocks if something like that be developed? Well, what's interesting is that, that the, I said, you know, it's, it's morning light and, and dusk light that, that's the most important. And in fact, light during the middle of the day, no matter how bright it is or what color it is, is not very effective shifting the clock at all so you know an app will be useful saying right you now need to get up and seek out morning light and uh, you could use your app to detect how bright the light is and how long you've been exposed to that light and knowing that you need several thousand lux of you know 30 minutes or so once you've had that light exposure you've had that as it were photon shower first thing in the morning uh, it, it could then say okay you probably had enough light to set the clock so an app like that could be very useful. Yeah, I just figured it might, you know, because, again, if you're getting up late or if someone's getting up late because of their schedule, you know, yeah, they're running around in the daytime. They would never think like, oh, I'm getting light. I'm OK. But I've, I've noticed personally, again, when I go to bed late, you know, I go to bed late, I get up. But when I go on vacation, I have to get up early. And I notice on vacation, I'll get very tired at like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night yeah. and I'll sleep much better than I normally do. Yes. So, but then when I get back, I slowly drift back to my normal way, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the problem that is that, that so many of us, and, and particularly people of your generation, are trying to pack in so much into the day. The day is already massively overcrowded. And so we try and do more and more, whether it be work things or social things, and we essentially invade the night. And we can invade the night because, of course, we've got good domestic lighting. But in the process, we, we've we essentially abandoned sleep. Sleep has been the, the first victim of this of this invasion of the night by so many of us. And there are clearly consequences. What happens to the rest of the body, the organs, you know, during sleep, during wake? Has anyone investigated um, I, like, does every organ have a clock in it that's unique? And has anyone investigated the rest of the body? No, it's, it's a great question. So we used to think it was just the master clock within the brain called the suprachiasmatic nuclei. And this this structure of about 50,000 cells 
sits in the brain, right in the in the base of the brain, in the hypothalamus, and where the where the optic nerves go in and fuse, it sits above 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 this structure. Now, if this area of the brain is destroyed as a result of injury or a tumor, some other um, disease, then 24-hour patterns uh, are completely lost. So originally, we thought the eye detects the light-dark cycle and sets the eye detects the light-dark cycle and sets the suprachiasmatic nuclei. And then the SCN, as they're called, send out a signal which drives physiological rhythms in in our behavior and our physiology and our biochemistry. And we got that wrong. It was discovered that essentially every cell in the body has a biological clock. So there are billions and billions of individual cellular clocks. So what seems to be happening is that the SCN is sending out a limited number of, of signals, which then adjust the circadian timing of what's called those peripheral clocks, those clocks in all of the tissues and and the organs of the body. So what happens when the SCN is destroyed is two things. One is that these peripheral clocks, they tend to damp out. They're not quite as robust as the clocks in in, in the master clock in the brain. So they're damping out. But a more important factor is that all these clocks start to drift apart. So instead of a a beautifully coordinated rhythm, uh, let's say in the liver, all the different clocks begin to drift apart and a coordinated rhythm is lost. So it looks like all rhythmicity has been abolished when the SCN has been lesioned. Well, it is in terms of a a, a sort of a global scale in the organs and and the tissues. But if you look at the individual clocks, they're all ticking away, but they're no longer synchronized to each other without the master clock in the brain. So we tend these days to think of the, uh, of the, rather than a circadian clock, it's the circadian system where all of these different clocks are, are working together to produce a, a beautifully coordinated and rhythmic output. Do the clocks beat and then line up? Is there, is there a master one again that acts as conductor? For all the rest yeah. of the clocks and, yeah, and entrains their, entrains the rhythm as you wake up, let's say. Yes, it's, so that master clock in the SCN is essentially, and, and as you've alluded to, we, we sort of use the analogy that, um, it's a bit like the conductor of an orchestra producing a regular temporal beat, either via the sympathetic nervous system, which, which connects to very many cells and organs of the body or via hormonal outputs. And that signal then coordinates the rhythmic output of the members of the orchestra or the the variety of the cells in the body. Uh, And so if you shoot the conductor, remove the SCN, the all the members of the orchestra play at a slightly different time. So so instead of a beautiful symphony, you've got a biological cacophony. So what happens to people that have a lesion on their SCN? What does it do to them physically? Yeah, we've studied one chap who contacted us and said he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor and the brain tumor was uh, close to the hypothalamus and uh, it moved through the hypothalamus and destroyed his SCN. And he wanted us to study how or the impact of that um, of that tumor in his hypothalamus on his circadian rhythms. And as you might expect, as the tumor destroyed the SCN, then his 24-hour rhythms fell apart completely. But very, very sad and very brave man. Um, and he wanted to use the the last few months of his life to provide, you know, scientific evidence of the importance of this master clock within the brain. Yeah, no, that's cool. What, what were you guys able to figure out from working with him? 
Well, in a sense, I guess what we had known from animal models, which is, you know, this is a really important part of the brain and it's regulating circadian rhythms. But of course, those experiments were undertaken by lesioning or, or, or blasting out the SCN of, of mice or hamsters or, or rats. And of course, that's completely, uh, you, you can't do that in humans. But in a sense, nature, uh, by delivering a tumor to this individual, he was able to confirm what we all thought which is the SCN of humans is just like mice, providing this, this, this master control center for the regulation of internal time. Well, what do you notice the oscillations of the different organs are or their behavior during sleep versus during wakefulness? Has anyone cate- you know, categorized no. uh, biochemically what's going on and what functions are changing? Oh, it's absolutely profound. I mean, we show absolutely dramatic differences uh, across the day and across the night. And if you think about it, it's no great surprise. So during the day, we're taking in calories and we're burning those calories um, and generating energy to function. But at night, of course, we're not taking in any calories. We're we're dependent, entirely dependent upon the mobilization of stored calories in the liver and and in, in, in fat cells to provide the energy to keep us alive at night. So you can you can imagine there's a complete switch of our entire metabolic pathways compared to the day utilizing the energy that comes in versus the night which is essentially utilizing the energy that's being mobilized from stores. Now, that's just one example. So we can also think of other really important things going on within the brain uh, when we're asleep. So one really, really exciting area that's been discovered recently is is the the formation of memories. Now it seems that sleep is absolutely critical for most of the memory formation that we experience. A night of sleep um, takes those those weakly encoded memories and consolidates them to become, um, in a sense, hardwired memories uh, within the brain. And sleep is essential for that. You know, just just a few, just one night of sleep deprivation can reduce memory consolidation by more than 40 percent. So it's a really big effect. Those are just a couple of examples of how our biology is different between the day and the night, regulated by our circadian rhythms. So what, what does future experimentation look like for your group or other groups? Now that you know some of this, what are you trying to figure out? Yeah, I think there's lots of areas where where we're working. And, and I think there are the two main thrusts at the moment in the group. Developing educational packages for healthcare workers to try and understand uh, the importance of circadian rhythms and sleep. In a five-year training, most but most junior, most junior doctors will maybe get one or two lectures on sleep and circadian rhythms, and it's very very superficial. So what we've developed is the first fully online uh, sleep master's degree, which you can sign on to um, and take over two years, and in fact involves a um, a, a visit to Oxford as part of the summer school. And it, it's a way in which we can get healthcare workers to be sort of aware of the importance of biological time. And the course, you know, is, is, it will talk about the importance of sleep, but it will also touch upon other areas. So, for example, when to take your medications. So we know that if you take your antihypertensive drugs before you go to sleep, rather than taking them first thing in the morning, you can hugely reduce the chances of a stroke or heart attack. The timing of medications is turning out to be a really important area. And also in in certain cancer therapies, giving there's a very famous case where children with childhood leukemia uh, who had either morning anti-cancer 
chemotherapy or uh, early evening chemotherapy. Those in the morning had a, I think it was something like 5.6 increased chance of relapse and death compared to the same drugs at the same concentration uh, taken in the uh, late afternoon and early evening. So so it's embedding uh, an understanding of the importance of biological time in medicine, which I think is really important. And the second area that we're working on very actively, we sort of touched on this, is the development of uh, a whole slew of evidence-based drugs that will change circadian rhythms. So, for example, we've talked about the blind, but if you look at circadian rhythm disruption in mental health, in mental health, it's extraordinarily bad. In schizophrenia, um, sleep rate patterns are absolutely smashed. In certain neurodevelopmental conditions, again, sleep rate patterns are utterly destroyed. And so what we're trying to do, uh, based upon our understanding of how circadian rhythms are regulated, are to develop a whole new class of drugs which will which will consolidate and set an individual's circadian rhythms. Why is that important? Well, it not only improves uh, health and well-being, but we've shown that if you can partially stabilize sleep-wake profiles in individuals showing paranoia or hallucinatory experiences, if you can just target the, the sleep-wake timing systems, you can actually reduce the levels of hallucination and paranoia, showing that by you know the sleep the, the sleep systems represent an exciting new therapeutic target to reduce the severity of symptoms in mental health. So I think um, we, we're at a very exciting stage in our group and around the world where some of the incredibly transformative knowledge, transformative knowledge that has emerged over the past 20, 30 years is now being turned into uh, applications where human health and well-being uh, is being improved. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. I mean, I guess if you look at a women, they have their cycle and then you overlay the uh the circadian rhythms on that. And then you look yeah. at how medications can be optimized. There's, there's probably a long way to go. So is there, yeah. is there um, a field of like chrono science that is rising from all this? Oh, very much so. So chronopharmacology, the delivery of specific drugs at specific times is turning out to be, you know, a, a really new and exciting area. But you talked about um, women and, and menstrual cycles. Um, and, and it's really also turning out to be fascinating in that the release of the hormones and the response of target tissues to those hormones is all being regulated by uh, circadian clocks within the hypothalamus, within the ovaries and within other tissues, which allow reproduction and the production um, of, of an egg at the appropriate time to be beautifully fine tuned. And so you find in women night shift workers or uh, airline hostesses who have severely disrupted circadian rhythms, uh, their period lengths can be very abnormal, more than 40 days, for example. Conception is, is much more difficult. And indeed, there's even evidence for miscarriage in individuals uh, who have circadian rhythm disruption, showing the you know, incredibly important links between our 24-hour biology, but also our other biological rhythms, such as the menstrual cycle. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and keep tabs on your research? You would go to the Oxford website, the Sleep and Circadian Neuroscience Institute, the SCNI, and we have um, a pretty good uh, website. Of course, it always needs updating, uh, but we um, have a lot of stuff going on in that website. So please, please do uh, visit the website and you can learn more about us. Very good. Well, Russell, it's been a good talk. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really nice to speak to you, Richard.
Don't forget, before you go, use code GENIUS at Viome.com for an additional $20 off your health intelligence test and get started on your health journey with the right foods, supplements, and probiotics and prebiotics for your unique biology. Get a deeper look within with Viome's health intelligence test. Viome, you decoded. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.